llegaron Soy toda la sobra de lo que se robaron Un pueblo escondido en la cima Mis pieles de cuero, por eso aguanta cualquier clima Soy una fábrica de humo Mano de obra campesina para tu consumo Frente de frío en el medio del verano El amor en los tiempos del cólera, mi hermano El sol que nace y el día que muere Con los mejores atardeceres Soy el desarrollo en carne viva Un discurso político sin saliva Las caras más bonitas que he conocido Soy la fotografía de un desaparecido La sangre dentro de tus venas Soy un pedazo de tierra Que vale la pena una canasta con frijoles Soy Maradona contra Inglaterra Anotándote dos goles Soy lo que sostiene mi bandera La espina dorsal del planeta En mi cordillera Soy lo que me enseñó mi padre El que no quiere a su patria No quiere a su madre Soy América Latina Un pueblo sin pierna Pero que camina Oye, tú no puedes comprar el viento, tú no puedes comprar el sol, tú no puedes comprar la lluvia, tú no puedes comprar el calor, tú no puedes comprar las nubes, tú no puedes comprar los colores, tú no puedes comprar mi alegría, tú no puedes comprar mis dolores, tú no puedes comprar el viento, tú no puedes comprar el sol, tú no puedes comprar la lluvia, tú no puedes comprar Pa' cuando me sonrío, la nieve que maquilla mis montañas Tengo el sol que me seca y la lluvia que me baña Un desierto embriagado con peyote, un trago de pulque Para cantar con los coyotes todo lo que necesito Tengo a mis pulmones respirando azul clarito La altura que sofoca, soy las muelas de mi boca Mascando coca, el otoño con sus hojas desmayadas Los versos escritos bajo la noche estrellada Una viña repleta de uva, un cañaveral bajo el sol en Cuba. Soy el mar caribe que vigila las casitas haciendo rituales de agua bendita. El viento que peina mi cabello, soy todos los santos que cuelgan de mi cuello. El jugo de mi lucha no es artificial porque el abono de mi tierra es natural. Tú no puedes comprar el viento, tú no puedes comprar el sol, tú no puedes comprar la lluvia, tú no puedes comprar el calor.
pero nunca olvido, oye. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 51 of the District 3 Podcast. My name is Irvin. I'm Manny. And today we're here with a, uh, a longtime friend. I like to say long time, but it's been quite a few years since I've known this guy. Um, he's actually a University of uh, Arkansas Fort Smith graduate, originally from Waldron, and uh, he's been a friend of mine and Myra's for quite a few years now. Humberto Marquez, thank you for joining us, Humberto. Hey, thank you guys for having me. And um, I think it's important to have Humberto um, during this podcast, um, for this podcast, just because um, Humberto has been working in the community for quite a few years now. He's put in the work and uh, he's actually a DACA recipient. And for those that don't know, which I think that everybody that listens to this podcast should know what DACA is by now, yeah. but um, DACA was passed as an executive order by President Obama, I believe back in 2012. If, is that a right, Umberto? That is correct. It's been it's been eight years. It's about to be the eighth year. Well, I think it was just the eighth year anniversary. So yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. I man. know. For those that don't know you, Umberto, can you kind of give just a little bit of uh, of background information as to like where you were born and and mm-hmm. uh, and how you came to this country? Sure. And where you came so, to this country? Yeah. <laughs> so I was uh, born in uh, Zacatecas, Mexico. Um, I uh, grew up actually in Jalisco. That's where I grew up, um, I'd say like the first four or five years of my life. And then from there, uh, I immigrated to uh, LA, uh, specifically Pasadena, uh, California. I'd say I was there about for a year. And from there, I moved to uh, this little town called Waldron, Arkansas, uh, what brought my family to this little small town. Actually, I'm I'm here right now, <laughs> uh, visiting family. But um, but I'd say uh, what brought us here was uh, the poultry industry. You know, jobs. Uh, it was a much safer community than L.A. And honestly, I I remember growing up and I never knew I was in a like in a whole different country until I arrived here in Arkansas. <laughs> in mm-hmm. California, I thought I, I still was in Mexico. I That's thought I was, was yeah, it was literally everything was in Spanish. Uh, all my classmates, even the principal, everyone spoke Spanish. So I'm like, oh, I'm just on a little vacation, I guess. I don't know where I'm at, but everyone speaks Spanish. This is cool. But it wasn't until I arrived here that I received all the cultural shock, the racism that comes with it, and, and the struggles um, of, of uh, being a, an immigrant in a whole different environment. 
But but yeah, I've been in Arkansas ever since then. I arrived here, I believe it was in 2001. Mm-hmm. So I finished, so I started first grade here in Arkansas. And this is where I graduated high school. And then eventually, you know, I did go to Fort Smith. And then from Fort Smith, um, currently I'm in Springdale. <laughs> so it's been a journey. <laughs> so you got here pretty much around the same time that I got here from California, which is like 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I feel like many, like, I feel like 50% of the guests that we, that we have on here, like either passed by LA or like lived in LA. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, some, some kind of California connection. That's like yeah. the port. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's like, I guess, there's, and, and we talk about this, well, I bring it up a lot, but there's always mm-hmm. like a, a relative that's over here in Arkansas that says, mm-hmm. Hey, like come to the promised land, come to Arkansas. There's jobs over here. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's better opportunities for your children. Right. Uh, there's no gangs. Um, did y'all have a relative like that over here in Waldron? Or were y'all like the... the no. So we actually didn't have any family uh, here in, in, in Waldron. We, um, how it happened is my parents met some coworkers of theirs that had family <laughs> in Waldron. Uh... And so my parents were about to give up on the U.S. because L.A. was a struggle. And they honestly didn't have any other family members anywhere else in the country. And so they said, we know what? L.A. is it's too complicated. It's too aggressive. Um, let's just head back to Mexico. And then right before they left, right, right before they were about to decide to leave, they met some of their coworkers that said, oh, we're all going to um, this state called Arkansas. And there's jobs. We have family over there. They say it's amazing. And my parents were like, well, you know, maybe we should give that a shot. Um, let's, let's give it a shot. And so we literally caravaned from L.A. all the way to Arkansas. It was, I don't remember exactly how many vehicles it was, but it was multiple vehicles. I remember at least five, at least five big vehicles. And we all caravaned. We were the only ones, I believe, that were not part of the family because everybody was related to each other, cousins, aunts, you name it. Um, we decided to tie along. It was a small little family of four. You know, at that time, it was just my, both of my parents, my older sister and I. And yeah, we joined the caravan. And that's how we ended up specifically in Waldron. And it's crazy how life works because if my parents wouldn't have been at that job, if they would have met those coworkers, yeah. uh, we would have never ended up here. <laughs> and where'd you, where'd you guys stay whenever you guys got here? Did you stay with those same coworkers or was it like just mm-hmm. you happened to get a little place to rent or what, how did that work? Yeah. So the, how that worked is my parents were able to find, um, they were able to find a small place to rent. And it, it was, um, it was a struggle because it was, you know, my parents didn't have much res- They had, didn't have any resources. Um, it was a rough town that, you know, was mostly white and for them to see all of a sudden, um, this presence, this very strong presence of, of a lot of, yeah, right, exactly. Come in, come in town. <laughs> right. The, the whole demographic of the town changed drastically. Um, in the early 2000s um, here, here in Waldron. And, and so there was, you know, a lot of repercussions because of that. I mean, I could feel it. Um, I'd say it was more present in the, in the first years that I was here. Um, but in, later on, it was, it was much better. But I'd say like the first years, it, it was rough because I do remember getting picked on because of how I spoke my English, um, not being able to, not being able to pronounce certain words. Um, I remember getting beat up, 
like in, in, in the second grade by some fifth graders just because of the color of my skin and telling me to go back to where I came from, that I wasn't welcome here. And I just couldn't understand, you know, as a second grader, I was not able to understand why that was happening. Um, and so in a way, I decided to kind of like shelter myself in, in books, in, in my education. That's how I was able to really shield myself from all that negativity. And it's crazy to believe now because I got here in the first grade and then by the third grade, I was already, <laughs> I was already participating like in spelling bees. And I'm like, how did I learn this language so quickly? You know, I, I don't even, I don't even remember like just learning, picking up on the language so quick. And that's how I was able to really, I guess, get some respect in school because I would always try to help others like in their schoolwork, like if they struggled. And so I'd say like by fourth and fifth grade, I wasn't getting picked on anymore because I tried to, you know, I did try to... Yeah, <laughs> 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 kind of. And so in a way I was like, you know, um, but it, it just, it just one of those things that I, I don't think about much, but it just makes sense. Um, and I'm really thankful that I was able to, to shelter myself in, in, in this academic little environment of mine. And that's how I was able to push myself. Going back to that whole, like, um, coming to Arkansas from California uh -huh. thing, like uh -huh. just thinking about that journey, just coming uh -huh. from California. Cause I mean, I had that journey too, right? Like you said that uh -huh. you, you came in a, in a caravan with other people. Like uh -huh. we came by ourselves and it was like in a, I remember like it was like a old black Mustang that we were, that we were driving down here. Uh -huh. And oh, my dad, style, didn't, huh? what was that? Came in style in the Mustang. Yeah, man, it, it had like a little hood and everything. It was pretty cool, but it was kind of yeah. old, you know? Yeah. And like, dude, I remember when I was coming over here, uh, we had to get rid of a lot of our stuff, right? Mm. We had to fit everything in the car. And mm -hmm. I had a big uh, pro wrestler figure collection. Like, I had like 50 of them. And I had like a little wrestling ring that I could play them, mm -hmm. could play with them on. And I had to get rid of all of that. And my mom was like, you can only keep like 10 of them mm. we, we had like a garage sale before and like i mm -hmm. saw my, all my toys go away like in a really cheap price and and yeah. uh, we took that journey over here to to arkansas mm -hmm. not knowing how it was gonna be i didn't even know it was called arkansas i thought it was <coughs> mm -hmm. arkansas you know that's how yeah we arkansas <laughs> that's how we knew it as and just that big risk i think is just a very special thing that a lot of mm -hmm. us take and we don't even know if we're even going to be liked or appreciated or even cared for over here because we mm -hmm. don't know, you know, and it's like, we all take that big risk. And I think for a lot of us, it, it paid off, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, um, do you ever look back at that and say, you know what? Like, I'm just so glad that my parents took that risk. And I know you touched mm -hmm. on it a little bit already, but mm -hmm. um, do you ever think about that? Oh, most definitely. You know, the fact that, you know, my, my dad was already living here in the States. So he, he was the first of his siblings to move to the U.S. And that was, you know, and, and he used to go back and forth all the time. You know, previously when there weren't that many uh, restrictions when it came to immigration. But then it was, you know, um, until he, until we joined him, until he brought us along with him, that he never came back. He never came back to, uh, he never went back to Mexico. And then my mom, you know, just thinking about her how she 
decided to take that risk herself and decided to abandon everything that she knew, her culture, her family, everything back in Mexico and decided to join my dad and did this for, for my older sister and I. I mean, that's the ultimate sacrifice. And I think it didn't start, I didn't start realizing how big of a sacrifice that was um, until it was like the year, I believe it was like 2007, 2008, whenever my, uh, my grandma, uh, my grandmother, my mom's mom uh, passed away uh, in Mexico. And my mom was really close to her. And the fact that she wasn't able to go down to her funeral, you know, um, and then besides my mother, you know, um, feeling very guilty, uh, feeling just destroyed because of that, because she couldn't be at the funeral or because she wasn't able to say her last words to her in person. And so that's when I started realizing, oh, wow, you know, like, it's, it's not that easy. It's, that's a huge sacrifice because I try to put my mom in, in I try to put myself in my mom's shoes and, and, and that would be horrible, mm. you know, to, to go through that, to not be able to be there with my own mother, um, just because of, of a border, just because of some, some laws that dictate when or where we can't go. Mm. And and so I feel like, yeah, I, I definitely feel, besides the, the, the physical um, labor that my parents had put down um, to keep us, you know, to, to ensure that we had the best of, of everything. But I think that's probably a bigger sacrifice, sacrificing your family in a way, like being away, being away from them. And that speaks volumes of, of both of my parents. Umberto, I'm curious, uh, since mm -hmm. you, you moved around, obviously more than I have, because you were in, in Jalisco and then California oh. and then here, uh -huh. where, where for you, like, do you consider Arkansas number one in your heart? Like, is that home mm -hmm. for you? Oh, yeah, most, most definitely. I mean, I, I'd say this is, this is home. This yeah. is where I have my friends, my memories, my accomplishments, uh, the victories that I've been able to celebrate. I mean, the movement and, oh yeah, definitely Arkansas all the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's like a big thing for me as well, because, mm -hmm. you know, all of us having moved around um, from California mm -hmm. here, I like, I, I feel like I have a taste of what immigration is like, right. I'll never mm -hmm. understand mm -hmm. what, what the financial and physical risks of going from El Salvador to California were for my parents. Right. But mm -hmm. I, I do understand like a little bit of that culture shock. And, and you know, when mm -hmm. I was really young, I had that like kind of, um, I don't know, just that, that California was like a holy grail to me. But now, mm -hmm. now that I'm older and like I've lived those memories and, and, mm -hmm. and everything, Arkansas is so like embedded in, in everything that I do and everything that I am, that it, it becomes home for most of the people that, you know, you would end up growing here and you kind of like want to stick around, right? But do you, what do you think? Mm -hmm. Do you think, uh, you know, once, once you get your everything situated, do you hope to go back to Mexico? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I really hope to, to go back and, and I know with the whole, um, Supreme court decision and now with current discussions that possibly advanced parole, uh, might be put back into place. I mean, I'm, I'm ready to take that opportunity and go back to the motherland. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's, you know, it, I think it's going to be a very difficult and emotional trip back home, um, especially because um, 
my my parents still have uh still have a home back there and and, and back in mexico that uh and they actually rented out to um some of our some of our family members that we have that we have down there but my parents um have told me that uh they stored everything like the this house had a like a kind of like a basement and they stored pretty much whenever right before we uh left to the US they stored all of our belongings down in the basement wow and so pretty <laughs> much like my toys all the family photographs everything pretty much like oh, wow. all my toys my bike everything is was stored out there and it was just pretty much sealed off that just they, they they it was just kind of like a radical decision they put everything in there and so for me to be able to go back i think that's the very first place i'm going to go back to because there's very very few photographs that i've seen of myself as a kid yeah um there's very few photos that i've just seen of of what it was live down in mexico and so i think it's going to be a very um a very emotional uh, trip and then obviously i'll get to see family but even even though i don't really i'm not that i'm not that close to my family down in mexico as i wish i as i could because i mean we just don't see each other yeah and it's very difficult to try to keep up with people that you really don't see physically it's just impossible that you never met or you don't remember meeting yeah. um but i'm i'm ready to make you know those connections those relationships uh and and i really really hope that by the time that i'm i am able to go back to mexico that i'll be able to see um at least um you know one of my grandparents because yeah. at this point i only have um I only have my grandpa on my mom's side left and then on my dad's side I only have my grandma which I have seen she 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 was able to come um to the US on a visa um many years ago so I do have some recollection of her but I would really like to at least have that connection you know to just be able to have a connection with with another one of my grandparents yeah yeah, yeah. hopefully yeah. that hopefully that happens soon and you're able to I, I yeah I I hope so I hope so and 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 we'll see what happens with Advance Pro but um I know that I was very close to to taking on an opportunity like that whenever Advance Pro was in place um yeah, I was going to ask what, you about that. Yeah. Yeah, cuz there was a program I forgot what the exact program was called but it was being I I'm not sure who was sponsoring it. It was some branch of the Mexican government that was sponsoring this trip and and I was very close um I was already approved and everything. I had been interviewed, I had been accepted. but then the reason that held me back was there was some costs that they hadn't fully disclosed mm. um in the whole in the whole um explanation of things yeah. and so that's what stopped me from because at that point I was going to school and so I was like do I finish out my semester and finish paying that off or do I go on this trip and so for me school was more important and it kind of in 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 some situations I'm like dang Do I regret doing that because I could have I could have gone, you know, I could have gone but I decided to choose school and now that Advance Pro is is gone at the moment um you know it's one of those things where like dang I should I should have taken that opportunity to go back. Yeah. Yeah. And um when when did you start uh, organizing Roberto like well, cuz I think I know we t- I know we joked about this a lot whenever we mm-hmm. talked about like that the uh the video that you put that you posted on youtube of the wadron dreamers i don't know if it was you or oh, someone else so, someone <laughs> i'm sure yeah i'm i'm sure it was it was someone um but yeah i mean at 
you know, it's, it's crazy because I always like to say, oh, you know, I started in 2012 um, organizing, but honestly, it was more like 2010, 2011. And the first taste of organizing, and I didn't even know that it was organizing. I just started doing it and, and I didn't even know the term for it. Um, I started organizing. I got introduced to organizing whenever I was part of my um, youth group in, uh, in uh, at the Catholic Church here, uh, St. Jude's here in, in Waldron. And it was actually my, my priest, uh, Father Neil, who is an amazing activist. I've met him in D.C. a couple of times, just mm. casually bumping into each other, and <laughs> which is crazy to yeah, this point cool. still. Um, but my, my priest, Father Neil, at that point, and, and our, our, our youth uh, director, uh, Kathy O'Brien, they were the ones who kind of pushed me to, to organize. Um, because they saw that I was really, I was really passionate about this issue. And there was also Lydia, uh, who was also very involved with us at that point. Um, Lydia and I, we kind of, you know, took uh, leadership and, and, and try to organize this group uh, called the just, you know, something simple, the Walden Arkansas Dreamers. And we this just... This was uh, uh, Lydia Mondragon, right? Yeah, yeah, Lydia Mondragon, yes. I forgot she was from Walden. It was us that uh, we were like, yeah, yeah, she's, she's from Walden. We were in the youth group and everything. And so uh, we would have weekly meetings. We started having weekly meetings and started um, organizing, started inviting people. Um, and it's crazy because I think it was because of, of those meetings that we started off. That's how I was able to meet um, Kathy uh, Jarvis. Mm. from from Fort Smith because Kathy O'Brien knew Kathy Jarvis and so it was Kathy Jarvis I thought Kathy Jarvis was Kathy O'Brien I added I accidentally added Kathy O'Brien thinking it was Kathy uh, Jarvis on Facebook <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, two amazing Kathy's I, I I swear but um but with with Kathy uh with with Kathy Jarvis she was the one who kind of uh well, introduced me to a lot of amazing leaders in, in Fort Smith. Like she saw, she saw potential in me and she's like, you know what, you have to meet all these amazing people in Fort Smith. And then it was around that time that I believe um, through Kathy Jarvis, Lydia heard about, um, you know, uh, some organizations that were, that were organizing in Arkansas at, at, at that point, you know, like, uh, you know, Arkansas United Community Coalition, Arkansas Coalition for Dream. And so that's how I was able to catapult myself from just a small scale organizing in a church. And that was kind of like a stepping stone for me to be able to uh, find uh, uh, bigger statewide organizations that did more, more work. And that's how I was able to find other national organizations mm -hmm. like United We Dream, uh, Firm, uh, among others. You got to go to the con to the Congress, right? United We Dream Congress, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, and I think... I remember that. Yeah, we all went together. I think it was in Kansas City, right? Our, yeah. Yeah, it was in Kansas City. And I think that was... Honestly, that was a, a huge milestone for me because I had never been to an event where there were other people like me, you know, dreamers. And that was such an empowering uh, event for me that that pretty much just, just changed my life altogether because I was able to be my complete authentic self at that, uh, at that event, at that Congress. And from that point on, it was just like, it's 
snowball. I learned so much about what community organizing was, um, intersectionality of issues. And I think that was what probably uh, shocked me the most, how a lot of issues can just be intersectional and you can fight for all of them, not just one. And I think that really did open my eyes as to what truly community organizing was. Mm. And then uh, 2012 comes around, uh, Obama mm -hmm. announces Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Um, mm -hmm. what, what were you feeling at that time when that was announced? I mean, I think, I don't remember exactly where I was, but I remember my mom calling me and she said, have you heard the news? And it's like, you're like, like there's going to be something for dreamers. And my first thought was, a pathway to citizenship you know that's the, that was the very first thing that I was thinking yeah. um of course that wasn't the case but whenever I started uh uh hearing the announcement seeing all these infographics on the requirements what it's going to provide and I was like this is it this is the moment that I've been waiting for and and honestly I do um I do recognize the the privilege that I that I had in that particular moment because um, I know many other many other of my dreamer peers had been fighting for years and years for something like that to happen, and honestly, for me, I only waited a few months mm -hmm. because I graduated. I graduated May uh, of 2012. I was still I was still 17, um, but I graduated May 2012, and it was just what the the month after. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, not even months, one month. Um, yeah, because I think I graduated May 19th and the announcement was May June 15th. So yeah, barely a month. Yeah. And that's when the announcement was, was made. And for me, I was like, this is, this is perfect timing. Like, how, how can this be? Um, and so I immediately applied. I remember, I think I got my permit um, December of that year. Mm. And so it was all very quick. It was, it was, um, it was obviously it was, you know, it, it was kind of like a, one of those processes that it was, that seemed kind of skeptical, you know, because I was like, well, they say it's a temporary program, you know, why it, can this be terminated? You know, at that point I had no idea what, what, could, what the future would hold, yeah. uh, where we would be right now. No idea. And for me, I was kind of like, ah, that's, that's kind of, that's a little nerve wracking to be providing all my information and, and, and this is an executive order. But then I was hopeful, I'm like, no, you know what, like, I'm sure this is temporary relief and we will keep fighting to be able to receive a permanent solution. And so that was my thought process. Okay, let's, let's do this. But at the back of my mind, I was like, well, what if, what if this goes the other way? you know i yeah. i wonder um but yeah that 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 was that was uh i still remember in june i was i was just uh ecstatic i i couldn't believe it that that it was <laughs> happening and i knew and i knew it was it was it wasn't because you know president obama at that point just woke up and said you know what i'm going to i'm going to go ahead and and, and do this um, I know it was m years and years of of uh, hardcore community organizing, protesting, civil disobedience, mm -hmm. um, and so I know that I had uh, to fight back as well. 
I yeah. knew I had to join the fight and not just, and not just for dreamers, because at that point I didn't know any better. I didn't know any better. And, and I did, um, try to push that narrative of like, Oh, look at me. I am, um, a, a, um, a good example of a student, a good example of, of someone, uh, contributing to society. And it was through organizing that I learned that that has nothing to do with the value and dignity of a human life, that mm -hmm. it should not, a piece of plastic should not dictate how much you're worth in, in this country. I didn't know any better, you know, but it was, yeah. and I think it was, it had to do a lot with the media just coming up to you, bombarding you with, you know, their microphones and, and, and saying, oh, well, tell us your story. And then I remember there were, there were times whenever I would tell my story and there were reporters that were like, well, isn't there a little bit more tragedy? Isn't there a little <laughs> bit more? And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. No. And, and it's one of those things where like, I, I, I just, uh, I definitely learned that um, throughout the years that that's, that's what they really push us to, to do. Like just to um, show the good side. Right. But what what really is the good side we yeah. every every single immigrant is is worth mm -hmm. and and uh, is is worth the dignity of having um, mm -hmm. that peace of mind in this country so yeah and i yeah. think everybody kind of there was that moment and then trump got elected obviously and and he's just running on build the wall anti-immigrant and then you know talking about rescinding daca and mm -hmm. I remember just all my friends who are on it, uh, my family members, there's that elevated presence of fear, right? And anxiety mm -hmm. that, that it's going to be rescinded, that they're going to mm -hmm. start doing mass deportations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, where, what did, uh, as a citizen, it's tough for me to relate. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, mm -hmm. like, when Trump was elected, what, mm -hmm. what did you feel? Mm -hmm. I, I felt anxiety i felt fear um i think mostly I, I did feel fear for myself but i think i was mostly fearful for my family for for my parents because i know that right from the very first day of trump's campaign whenever he um announced his candidacy he was already starting with this racist xenophobic um tone and 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 the way he presented himself and at first i was like well i mean he might be just all talk who knows yeah. and then a little bit of me was like well what if this is all a strategy of his and then he might actually he might actually you know make something happen who who knows uh politics is is can sometimes be uh this strategic game and you know, and then as I started seeing things that he was doing, I was uh, I was just getting more more fearful. But at the same time, I was trying to transform that fear into self empowerment, into making sure that our community wasn't feeling that fear. Because sometimes I feel like fear comes naturally when we don't know what to do, when we don't know how to react or how to prepare ourselves. Yeah, and with knowledge with the appropriate uh, uh preparation you know we can empower our our uh, our immigrant families and so that's that's what i was trying to do with with community organizing and it really um 
it really was a an an amazing uh, moment seeing just how many people, for example, were were registering for the first time to vote. And whenever I would have those conversations with them, like, oh, why is that? Oh, you know, like I I don't want Trump to be president. I'm actually wanting to. I'm registering for the first time because I'm wanting to vote. Yeah. And so it did create this massive wave of civic engagement all of a sudden. And if, if, you know, it's, it's a little, it's a little tough to kind of see that happen, that that's what it takes to sometimes mobilize and activate our community. But it did produce a fire uh, in people because they, they, they started seeing what this, what this man was capable of doing. Yeah, I think the same. That's the story for me. I didn't vote mm-hmm. with, for the first time until 2018, you know, and it was mm-hmm. really the pressure of my friends. And it was and it was mm-hmm. this administration that I was just it was just like, wow, what? Because I didn't think Donald mm-hmm. Trump was going to get elected. I don't think anybody mm-hmm. really, really. I don't think that. Yeah. Um, it was almost like, you know, my mistrust in government. But then I, seeing this and seeing how this played out, I think politicized mm-hmm. me. And I think that's a lot of people in our generation just yeah like you said it, it did light a fire mm-hmm. because we saw what can happen when people aren't civically engaged mm-hmm. um, and but yeah. urban i'm, I'm kind of curious what what did because i think you and i have talked about it but never on the show about you know yeah. you and myra um what you guys went through when trump was elected man i, I lost an election that night and i didn't even care man <laughs> i was like this is so horrible that like mm-hmm. i literally forgot that i had lost an election that night it was just um I was focused on this other election of the, cause I don't know if you remember, but I, I ran for office in 2016 uh, for state representative. And, and um, I, I was just so anxious about the Trump uh, election that I wasn't, I couldn't even go out. You know, I didn't go to any watch parties or anything. So it was just me, Myra and her brother. And we were in our, in my living room and we were just looking at the TV. And once we saw that Trump got elected, um, like, it was probably one of the most depressing uh, moments of our life. Like uh, Myra was crying. Uh, we were just kind of hugging her because it was just a bad mm-hmm. moment. And, uh, and I had forgotten about my own election. And um, I mean, the, the bad times have continued, you know, throughout the years because there's been a lot of things that either Trump has done um, and has caused a lot of anxiety in our uh, communities. I personally, um, I don't, I don't live with like depression or PTSD or anything like that, but I recently got diagnosed with anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of that comes from this administration, not only what we have to go through, like Myra mm-hmm. and myself, uh, but you know, what our friends, you know, mm-hmm. seeing a lot of our friends who um, like, and I don't have to explain this to you, Humberto, because I know that you know this, just like not being able to live like a stable life where you know like mm-hmm. should i buy a car should i buy a house right you know if you know if daca's gonna continue and what if it doesn't mm-hmm. continue what's gonna happen with all that um have you how do you how have you dealt with that Humberto, with the whole like that stable part of uh, keeping that stability mm-hmm. in your it's 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 very it's very difficult to try to plan for a future that might not take in that might not take place in this country um i always i've all like ever since i've been ever since i can remember i always like to have backup plans like ever since you know um 
ever since I've realized that sometimes things don't go as planned. Um, and I always try to stay positive, but recently it's, it's been very tough because not like, you know, just not knowing that this, this program could be taken away or, you know, one never knows maybe something, you know, like that, that, that's one of the biggest fears that I've had to like, you know, being um, like, if I were to be uh, protesting and then all of a sudden, you know, cause with, with all the recent protests that have been happening, just how uh, peaceful protesters have been, have been arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those things where like, well now, now what? And it's, it's just concerning. Um, because I mean, that I, recently it's, it's become, I mean, now, now that the Supreme Court decision has been made, it, it, it does give me, you know, a, a breath of relief. But at the same time, I know this administration is going to keep fighting to try to take this away. And so that uncertainty, that anxiety, uh, just being, just having this nerve wracking moment, uh, it's still not gone. It's still very there. And the fact that I, obviously I still, um, I'm still deeply concerned about my parents and the fact that I know that maybe I'm, I'm protected for now, but if something were to happen to my parents, you know, if they're at the wrong place at the wrong time, mm-hmm. um, what, what, how am I even going to react? You know, um, I live in Springdale. Um, they live down here and it would, it would just change my life all of a sudden. And just, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I, I highly crave that stability, that peace of mind, but I know it's not happening. And it's, it's one of those things that it, um, it's hard to, it's hard to wrap my head around it because I do want to go ahead and proceed with like enjoying my life and 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 working hard to reach certain accomplishments but i know that at you know there could come a point where all of that just gets taken away there are certain things that kind of just um do make me feel better and i remember like going through going through college um getting told several times by several amazing people that influenced my life that, you know, keep fighting, uh, keep, keep working towards earning that degree because your education is something that no one will ever be able to take away from you. And so at least that made me feel much better because I was thinking, well, you know, if if it came to the worst situation possible and and I I were to get deported um, for something, or I don't know, um, at least I know that I still have that, right? I still have my education. I still have those, uh, those, uh, that knowledge that I have and, and, and the amazing things that I've learned from amazing people, but it's, it's tough. And I feel like a lot, and I've, and I've spoken to several other of my documented friends. And I think this question kind of gets them too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it's, and, and especially right now with, with, especially with, COVID-19 happening at the moment too and and that's even that's adding additional uncertainty uh, it's just a very difficult uh, thing to to foresee you know how 
how what would I even do if I were to you know if I were to go back to my country if this you know program was was terminated um I try to plan ahead but I think for this one it's just very hard to even know to especially when I don't know um hardly any family down in Mexico uh when I don't even know where to even go for for anything and so it's it gives me a lot of anxiety just thinking about that yeah. because I, I I honestly wouldn't to begin <laughs> yeah I think and for it, those that don't know I mean the the DACA was challenged back in 2018 uh-huh. and uh-huh. Um, recently so the Supreme Court voted five to four um, to reject uh-huh. the challenge on it um, but the undocumented community is still wondering if one if new applicant new applicants will be able to apply to for DACA for the okay. first time uh, and two if they'll be allowed to use advanced parole to visit okay. family members in their native country so that's still up in the air um, so we know that that um, we're still I guess looking into it there's like a 74 page document and lawyers are still looking into it, but if it sounds like it's not going to be something that's going to be in that document, it's going to have to be something that gets announced by USCIS, um, specifically stating what's going to happen with those two aspects of the uh, of the program. Yeah, um, and and one thing is like I the the problem with the decision is that it was so short, right? It was right down the line, five to four. But Chief Justice Roberts, who wrote the opinion, was like, there's no actual legal reason that the Trump administration gave. He basically outlined like, hey, you know, just give a simple legal reason we might rethink this. And that's part of what Umberto is saying is that there's still so much work to do. There's a lot of work to do to try to find mm-hmm. about, um, like I said, parole, there's, a, there's a lot of work to do um, to try to work towards citizenship. Um, but that's, that's why, because there's, this administration is just so bad at stuff, but it's, they're also just attacking things mm-hmm. at, at any way they can. Um, so there is plenty still to do. And I just think that, I mean, we're hoping that one day, if it's not a dream act that gets passed, uh, immigration reform, I know that politicians, specifically people that are in the office of president always tease that, you know, they say, yeah. you know, Joe Biden just teased it, right? Yeah, he said in his he did. office that he would go ahead and send the bill over, you know? <laughs> so it's yeah, like, and, and what's funny is that he, he tweeted, uh, it's long overdue. It was like, dude, you, <laughs> yeah, it's way overdue. <laughs> <but> man. <laughs> long overdue from your administration. <laughs> yeah, you're vice president, man. Come on. So hopefully, um, we hope, you know, that there's something, Humberto, that passes that can hopefully one day mm-hmm. grant you a pathway to citizenship so you can definitely feel more stable. And hopefully in the future, you know, help your parents and help your family members. And and uh, mm-hmm. that's kind of what we all hope, you know, like I feel like um, me, mm-hmm. um, on a, I'm a citizen. I was born here, so I don't. Um, but through Myra, you know, through other friends that we have, um, mm-hmm. there is a pathway. Because living with this anxiety, living with uh, a lot of folks get, you know, depression, PTSD of past events that they've experienced with their family, their mm-hmm. parents. Um, hopefully, things start to look better. Um, but do you have any any final words for folks that are listening in today? Um, that might uh, have gotten a little bit educated based on what you've said today on your journey um, here to this country and what and how you're living with DACA. Um, any any final words that you would like to share? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I say that um, with with what the recent decision that just happened that that SCOTUS took 
um, there are a lot of very strong opposition voices right now that seem to have, like they, they seem to know what they're talking about just by how they word it, right? Like some, ex some, some examples for, uh, some examples would be uh, Senator Tom Cotton <laughs> with what he said on, on, on the DACA decision. Um, I think, I, I don't know what his exact title was, but one of the directors of USCIS, you know, gave his opinion on the USCIS website Mm -hmm. which is an agency, um, which is an agency of, uh, uh, of the government and pretty much stating that the, uh, pretty much stating that the, the Supreme Court decision was, was not legitimate enough. Mm. Like, what is this, you know? Mm. Um, and I say, and I say what, what I have to say about that is listen to actual folks who have DACA, mm. you know, listen to their stories, um, get to know one. If you don't know one, try to reach out. Even if, even, even if it's like through, through social media or a Skype call or whatever it might be, um, get to see other interviews. There's plenty, there's plenty of footage out there of, of interviews that have been given by those who have DACA, by those who are dreamers. And I feel like people need to, leave their misconceptions behind and realize that this this is what the true america is about mm. and and some people quickly forget that because of of just the the gaslighting and and everything that trump is doing right now when it comes to the rhetoric that he provides on on, on immigrants and and I feel like, and, and I am hopeful because I do feel like most of the people, uh, mo mo most, most people do want to make sure that they, uh, that those who have DACA have a pathway to citizenship, but it does not stop there because I know there's some folks out there who want to stop at, at, at the, at those who have DACA and not look beyond the bigger picture. Yeah. They don't want to provide that to the parents. Um, mm -hmm. They don't want to provide that to those who have a um some kind of uh some kind of a record you know some kind of a non-violent record yeah. um you know it's 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 more than that and i i say that whenever you have people in this country that are living with uncertainty living with fear we are not being the greatest country that we can be mm. and 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 at this point it's I think it's very hurt. It's a very hard country and it's a country that really is facing um, a lot of turmoil, but DACA, I say is just, you know, is just the, 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 the tip of the iceberg Absolutely. at the moment, you yeah. know, it's just the tip of the iceberg. But if, if we're not able to find a resolution to something in regards to DACA, how can we even, how can we even find a pathway to, to citizenship, how can we do a comprehensive immigration reform? And I know that it's been, it's been a, a, a battle that's been going on for, for too long. And like Joe Biden said, it's, it's long overdue, but like, but what are you doing proactively to do this? And, and I know that both, both parties uh, are, are at fault at why we're mm -hmm. in this situation that we are in right now. The fact that even eight years later, after DACA has been introduced, there still isn't a solution on the table. 
there there have been some propositions you know and then there was you know the whole uh dapa uh, era yeah. that happened mm-hmm. it was it was brief but it, and i remember that was that was a very you know outstanding moment um that i remember being being involved because i was like oh you know this is for this is including parents this is amazing yeah. and the way that just got shut down and honestly i don't think there hasn't been much since then since 2013 2014 and now it's six seven years later and i you know it's it's one of those things where i think people are too focused on trying to get rid of um of of trump uh in in office but Mm -hmm. that's not the issue you know Mm -hmm. trump trump yeah trump is 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 the face of it all Mm -hmm. but it's more it goes way deeper than that systematic way yeah. deeper it's systematic and the fact that democrats um are are equally as as involved in this mm-hmm. um you know just i you know just remembering whenever um the uh have, being part of a hunger strike in front of in front of the US capitol um along with uh other amazing adapted uh, arkansas peers of mine we were all there in our hunger strike. And one of the things that kind of just, you know, kind of, you know, I was intrigued by was every, any time, well, not, not all of them, but I know the, like the high profile Democrats, anytime they would come out to talk to us, they would bring a huge camera crew with them, mm. you know? Yeah. And it's one of those things where like, it just felt kind of not right. You know, it just felt wrong that this was a photo op for themselves and they would tell us all these sweet words, but they didn't fight hard enough for us at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'd say, you know, to, to, I'd say my last, my last words, my, my last message is, is see the bigger picture, you know, see like people don't realize that, um, that this, this is something that is, yeah, it, it is long overdue, but actions will, will get us there. Mm. and if 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 you're not if you're not doing anything proactively at least listen and and see what others have to say and th- and i think this applies among all movements mm-hmm. because i say I, I sometimes feel like people hold very strong opinions about issues because they don't they don't even try to reach out to those that are being directly affected by this yeah and then there's some people who like oh i kind of know what it is or i kind of know what's going on but don't they don't realize how how serious this is until they actually listen to stories so yeah they need um, to get involved and and get to know uh-huh. people and to truly understand uh-huh. it yeah uh-huh. Uh-huh. totally agree exactly. with uh-huh. well thank you for joining us on the show. we appreciate uh-huh. you making the time uh-huh. i know it's sunday i know it's father's day and you probably want to be celebrating with your father <laughs> um, so i appreciate you making the time to be here and uh we'll we'll love to invite you in the future so you can come back on and give us an update on where things at Hopefully, and hopefully it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, it's better, better news, uh, something solidified, uh, but no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you Thanks. guys for having me. I yeah. say happy Father's Day to your father for us. Oh, we'll do. Thank, thank you. Take care. Uh, y'all Bye, too. Guys. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.